Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Yeah, you know Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Are you ready to get down with some D&D? I know I am, and I am joined, as I am always joined, by, I'm just going to say, the icon, Sean Merwin. What's up, Sean? I am an icon. <laughs> what does that According. mean, exactly? <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about it when we talk about Winter Fantasy. How's that? Yes, we should do that. Uh, today, we're going to talk about designing encounters, because you have been on the Twitters, and you're doing monthly Twitter themes these days, and a lot of people wanted to talk about encounter design, and while Twitter's a great platform, maybe not the best for talking about Encounter design. Yeah, about complex uh, topics. Yes. Sure. And uh, I can just, I'll just preface for everybody out there, like, we're going to get a little literary, and I can't wait, because I'm, you know, oh. I mean, Sean's got, like, a master's and that kind of stuff, and I have my bachelor's and that kind of stuff, so it'll be fun to talk about that. It will. Looking forward to this episode. Yeah. All right. Let's do some announcements. So uh, tell me about Winter Fantasy, Sean. Winter Fantasy was awesome. Winter Fantasy is always awesome, but it gets more and more awesome as the years pass. Um, it's lots of people who really love to play D&D getting together to play D&D. So it's, you know, you think of the really big shows, Origins and Gen Con and the PAX shows. They're great, but if you're there just to game and just to play D&D in particular, Winter Fantasy is like the distillation down into a core diamond of gaming. Uh but if you like other games, there are other games there, too, especially playing games with the designers. So they were running Esper Genesis uh, with Rich Lescoufler and friends running that. Uh, Shadow of the Demon Lord was there with Rob Schwalb running that. Pathfinder 2.0 was being demoed there wow. uh, by Stephen Radley McFarland, who is you know a, a developer, if not the developer and designer on that game, and, and even other games. So it was a really great time. Since it's a smaller show, you know they might run 50, 60, 70 tables instead of just crazy amount. Instead of 200? Um, right. So you have the best DMs that the Herald's Guild and Ballman Games has to offer, uh, you know, are, get the slots to run. And it was kind of weird this time because the Herald's Guild gives out two awards at, uh, at, at Winter Fantasy. The Herald's Guild are the, the group of DMs who work for Bald Man Games and for other people to run D&D, especially Adventures League at shows. So they give out two awards a year. One is the DM of the Year, which is the um, they take the ratings that people are given and they just distill it down into the best numbers. And whoever had the best numbers for that previous year wins the award. Uh, and this year it was uh, J.D. I'm trying to remember his last name. Uh, he's, he's a really great DM. I don't know. And I don't know him. Yeah. He, he played with me at the table this year. Uh, but anyway, J.D. is a great DM. Uh, really great with the rules. Fun DM. So he won that. So congratulations. And then they give out a what they call the D&D Icon Award, which is a Lifetime Achievement Award for people who have been doing things with organized play and D&D over the years. And for the last two years, it was won by Claire Hoffman, who has been you know, doing uh, organized play stuff for as long as the RPG has been around. Uh, and Willie Berger, who has been running conventions, especially on the East Coast, for as long as D&D has been, uh, and the RPG has been around. So you're talking about people who have been doing this since, like, the early 80s. 
And so they are very deserving of an award like this. Well, this year I won the award. Yeah. But the 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 sad part was I forgot that they had these meetings. What? Because I wasn't DMing, so I didn't have a schedule like the other DMs get. <gasps> so I completely forgot. So I am at a restaurant eating with my buddies, and I keep getting these texts, congratulations, congratulations, or Slack messages, or Facebook messages, or Twitter messages saying congratulations, but no one is telling me why. That's funny. And I have completely forgotten this was even a thing, so I am just confused. So when I get back to the hall to run or to, to play in my next game, people are coming up to me and saying congratulations. And, and I, I, I keep saying, for what? And they say, well, we're not telling you. <laughs> That's hilarious. So they turn this into a big joke on me. Uh, until someone texted, well, he missed the meeting. And that's when I put two and two together and said, oh, the meeting, oh, the award, I'm an idiot. <laughs> so so only I could be awarded a Lifetime Achievement Award but not be there to get it. The moment, that moment of your life that you weren't there for. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, Although it turned into a really good story after that. Exactly. So thank you for everyone who congratulated me, and thank you also for making me look like an idiot. Uh by congratulating me but not telling me what for. All right, number two. Stranger Things Dungeons and Dragons starter set plays Mike Wheeler's adventure from the game, or from the show Stranger Things, the the Demogorgon adventure. Yes. Uh, this is really cool. So this came out at the, the New York Toy Fair. Um, they're, uh, they, they got, you know, a bunch of stuff in there, uh, but like, you know, dice and character sheets and things like that. And you can play characters up to fifth level in it. But it's got two Demogorgon figures, like the the Demogorgon um, model from the show, the the, the flower-faced-looking mm-hmm. thing. So that's right. really cool. It's also got um, character sheets with, like, the characters' names on there, like, uh, was it Mike Mike the Wise? Uh, things like that. So that's right. that's what's really neat about it. Like, if, if you're a fan of Stranger Things and you're a fan of D&D or you ever wanted to get into D&D, like, this is a great way to do it. Yep. So, so there was some confusion around this because people thought this was a Stranger Things game. No, it's not. Where you played, where you played the characters from Stranger Things. No, it's not. You're playing the story and the characters from the D and D game within the show Stranger Things. Mm-hmm. So, so there, so that there's that. And it's if you get past all of the Stranger Things connections, it's a new starter set. It is a new starter set. Uh, because the other one's been around for several years now, and a lot of people keep going back to it as a way to bring new players into the game. So here's another new way to bring players into the game. I'm looking, really looking forward to seeing what's in it. I hope the game. Is, I hope this adventure is as good as the Minds of Fandelver. Me too, man. That because the Minds of Fandelver is an amazingly good adventure, especially for a starter set. Yeah, yeah, and hopefully they've learned some lessons. Because you have to remember that adventure was written before the actual final rules were even done. Uh huh. Right. So now that they've had several years to refine the rules and realize, you know, what quirks there are, what what are the strengths of of the game, they can now create a new adventure to bring new players in with all that knowledge. So I'm hoping it's even better. Yeah, I hope so because the um the reason I like the Minds of Fandelver so much is because it's not linear. Mm-hmm. It's it's got that that D and D um. I don't know, keeping the Borderlands feel a little bit, I guess. Like, there is a... The Caves of Chaos thing. Like, there's a central location, Fandelver, and there's a bunch of, like, mm-hmm. adventure areas around it. And it doesn't really say which one you're supposed to go to first. So you have not a linear adventure design. And I think that's a really good thing to show people off the bat for D&D to keep that idea of, like, there's this open kind of world where you can go kind of go do things inside of this sandbox-ish area. Yeah. 
Yep, and I'm I'm sure it will be. I'm sure it will be well done. I, I feel Let's like we'll probably pick it up and review it, right? I can definitely see that happen. Yeah. By the way, the the old D and D starter set is on Amazon for nine dollars and fifty nine cents. It's fifty two percent off like the list price. That's crazy cheap. Also, yeah. like if you haven't gotten your player's handbook, Monster Manual, Dungeon Master Guide, you want to buy them for a friend. Like they're really cheap. Also, I think they're like thirty five bucks or something like that, or maybe they're even cheaper than that. They might be like thirty dollars. So sure. Those are $50 core books normally, so that's, you know, that's 40% off. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, what's next? This is something you put up. I did put this up. I suppose I should talk about it then, huh? Probably would be a good idea. All right, it's called Love's Labor's Liberated. So this is um, a 5th edition RPG zine, and it's part of the Kickstarter Zine Quest initiative for February. So those who don't know, if you're a fan of Kickstarter, there's this giant thing going on on Kickstarter right now with RPG zines. In fact, my inbox keeps getting blown up because... Uh, every time somebody puts up a zine, it gets backed, and I follow a lot of people on Kickstarter. So I've seen, like, 50 different zines pop up. I think there's actually 45 right now that exist wow. in the world. But this one's a 5th edition one, and it has uh, – here's what's inside of this zine. It's a variant fighter archetype called the Cavalier of Love. This will be very different from the official Cavalier archetype. The Cavalier of Love is uh, – it, it's a, a fighter with a cause that fights for a cause. So mm-hmm. that that's kind of neat. There's an enchanter. Um, they have a, a spell list now without needing, with, like, for, for an a enchanter mage type. So more like mm-hmm. Merlin or Circe, like that okay. kind of feel for for the enchanter. Cool. Um, there's a bunch of adventure ideas and hooks focusing on chivalry, like lost loves and quests to prove your worth. There's love-themed magic items like the Eye of Venus, which connects the wearer with their love. So like when their amour is physically harmed. It sends the wearer into a berserk rage. I think that's a pretty nice. cool pretty cool yeah. magic item right there. That is. And there's a bunch of other stuff in there, magic items and stuff, with backstories connected to passion and sacrifice and tips for how to connect them to the player characters. And there's even an adventure in there uh, with maps for characters levels 1 through 3 called uh, Hearts Hostage. And there's, there'll be more stuff in there, too. And uh, one of the reasons, aside from it being 5th edition and it being February, so, you know, Valentine's Day and all that stuff, um, Egg Embry is a part of this project, and he's a one of the people who does all the Kickstarter roundup stuff for M world. And mm-hmm. uh, I mean, he's, he, he does an excellent job rounding that stuff up. So I, I thought it'd be nice to, th- to shout him out. He's also shouted out our stuff before for Kickstarters and things like that. So I would suggest taking a look at it. If any of that stuff interests you, I am going to do just that. All right. Uh, let's get a little uh, serious for a second, right? Yeah. Sadly, sadly. So, yeah. So th- there is a big elephant in the room in D&D right now, and it's raging right now, which is why we're going to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And it has to do with certain abusive creators in the industry um, who are finally being called out for their poor behavior. Yes. And as as all of the Twitter and Facebook and, and all of the debate and the rage goes on, I just feel like we need to step back and say, keep in mind the the thing this is about which is that a bad person has abused many people, both online and in person. And let's keep in mind those people who were abused, and let's see what we can do to help not only them, but other people who have been victims of abuse, either by this person or by other people. Yes. Um, and we wouldn't, I wouldn't even give this person or this topic the oxygen that it takes to talk about it, except for... Abusers in the industry have been lifted up by pretty powerful people, um, whether it be wizards or other creators who lend their time and their services and their energy to helping create with these people. And so for me, it's pretty simple, right? 
if you're a publisher or if you're a creator or if you're a podcaster or if you have any sort of pull in the industry, stop working with bad people. Mm -hmm. Stop lifting up bad people. And if you have to do mental gymnastics to talk yourself into saying this is not a really a bad person, chances are they are really a bad person. It's very true. Um, and there are so many creators out there who are not bad people, who interact with others nicely. They play nice with others. And even if there are differences, they handle those differences like adults rather than like monsters. And if you've uh, um, if you've looked at the Internet, one of those people is Sean Merwin. So there you go. Everyone said well, many nice things about you. They have. Like, yeah, and and I am one of a million. Yes, there, you know? there are plenty of people out there that you should work with that are not the... Right. Um, oh, this is the PG show. I can't actually say that, so never mind. Exactly. They're not the bad exactly. people of the world. And 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 the, the other thing is, you know, as you look at other people who maybe were tricked by abusers uh, into thinking they were okay, before you go after them, look at yourself for just a few minutes. Take the time to take a, a little self-inventory and think, are there people out there who you've lifted up who may be the same sort of monster? And, you know, are you defending or contributing to people who should not be given the platform that the, the RPG allows the, for them? Um, and just do that because that's what other people should have done and didn't. So it's okay to, you know, go after them and demand apologies and demand retribution or whatever. But before you pick up the torch and the pitchfork, um, take the time to, to look at yourself and those closest to you just to make sure that you are not one of those enablers. Um, and then once you've taken that self-inventory, then feel free to, to, to go forward. Uh, I have a I have a few things to say about the about this topic too. So um, yep. first off, this is just a statement that uh, I want to make here, and and we've made it in, in other places too. Um, we believe women. Uh, we believe Mandy Morbid, Hannah, Jennifer, and Vivica Gray. Their abuser cannot debate, imitate, or manipulate us into silence. There's no place for abusers among us. Abuse mm -hmm. is not a game. Amen. Uh, the the other thing, instead of looking to to tear down the people that have done these terrible things, I think it might be worth it to look at the people who have been harmed and do your best to support them instead of looking to, to rip apart anyone who's made mistakes in the past. That's not to say let them get away with it or, or not, you know, say what needs to be said at times, but um, make sure you know what you're doing first and how you might be affecting other people. Like it doesn't always help to go out there and just, start these these flame wars and bashing i mean we have people in our network hosts that have been abused in the past and a lot of the stuff that's been going on on twitter especially the, the hate and vitriol has actually harmed them so mm -hmm. think about what you're saying everybody that's all i got to say like uh go and go and support the people who have been harmed and uh you know don't give any credence to the people who have done the harming yep and the dm's guild i know is going to be putting together uh bundles uh, for, you know that were donated by various creators on the DMs Guild, and all of that money will go to Rain, mm -hmm. uh, R A I N N, you know, which supports uh, abuse victims, either sexual or, or physical. All right, before we get to our main topic, let's do one more thing. Get away from, uh, not get yeah. away from. It's not getting away from. Like it's, it's a thing that needs to be said. It's a thing to keep in mind, and it 
and it sucks that it happened to these people, but it's good that it's out there now because we can start like people can that have been harmed can start healing. But now mm-hmm. on to the next thing, which is more uh, more fun. Yeah. So if if you like D and D news. And if you keep your finger on the pulse of the hobby, especially what's going on at Wizards, there is a show that you have to watch. It's called Spoilers and Sweat. Yes, I need to start watching and, it. <laughs> and it's normally the first Friday of every month on Twitch TV uh, backslash D&D. And this show is um, Nathan at Wizards. Nathan and, Stewart. Uh, Nathan Stewart and uh, Kate Welsh. And they basically do two things. They spoil things that are coming and they give away swag. Ooh. And I I am someone who likes to watch shows that get to the point. This show is not one of those. You know, they set and they joke and they do various things. But within all of that is a lot of great information. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take one for the team and we're going to watch this show, or at least I am, and pull out the best parts for you. I'll start watching um, it too. I'll do my best. Yep. So at the last one was, uh, I think last week they did it. And they, uh, Nathan Stewart, who is basically in charge of D&D at Wizards. No, he's Mike Merle's boss, if that helps. Yeah, right? he's the one who came over from, um, from, from Microsoft, right? Heading up the Xbox right. division, the Xbox Online stuff. I can't he, remember. He was part of a so. lot of the digital initiatives over there, like, like making their marketplace work better and making the, you know, better community right. stuff for them. Right. So, 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 you know, except for probably the president of Wizards, uh, Nathan is the one that does the things or tells people what the things to be done will be. And he talked about the D&D movie is still, quote unquote, in the works. Uh, he's talked about traveling to uh, L.A. a lot for his job recently. And he, he said, quote, it has it all has to do with movies and TV and cartoons. Yes. And then he said, the good news is we're super involved. So it sounds like there is a lot coming in terms of just pure entertainment in the D&D realm and that Wizards of the Coast is either A, directly involved, or B, at least being consulted on it. You know, there's like 50 Drist books. There could be a whole Drist TV show. There definitely could be. Just saying. Um, he, He talked about settings. And while he said, I am not going to talk about any settings that we're working on, he did say very specifically, we are not doing Spelljammer. <laughs> so despite all the conjecture on the Internet, and I worked on the uh, the DDAL802 Epic, uh, which takes place in space. And so people saw that and thought, oh, because of that, Spelljammer. No. According to Nathan... They are not working on spell. Let me say again. <laughs> and Chris is not a fan of that, as you can tell. Another thing that they let slip, and literally I think they let this slip, uh, was the next stream. You know, they had the stream of Annihilation and the stream of Many Eyes. Uh, the next stream is going to happen May 17th through 19th. And the location has been locked in, although they did not give a specific address. It will be happening in Los Angeles. It will be open to the public even more than the last one was. Uh, Nathan said there will be 100% more public gaming. So it almost sounds like they're making it into its own little sort of convention. Yes, that's awesome. 
And he said there will, there will be 20% more celebrities and influencers. And then he said 22%. Mm-hmm. So I think that that might have actually just been a number he was just pulling out of nowhere. But it sounds like they are making plans for it. And it sounds like it's going to be something that each year they try to make more and more interesting and accessible to the gaming world. So then what's next? And the final thing he talked about was he answered the question, where do you see D&D over the next few years? And he talked about it in terms of fantasy in general. He said that he wants uh, that the the D&D team wants to entertain fantasy in all the ways uh, fantasy lovers in all the ways that they want to be entertained. So they want to continue with a good game, but they also want to do anything that when you hear fantasy, you think of whether it be books, um, you know, visual entertainment in terms of movies, streams, whatever, you know, all of those things. Uh, He said their vision is we want to be a leading fantasy franchise led by great storytelling, which is a thing that's close to my heart, because as long as there's a good story behind it, I will consume it. In whatever form that it takes. So here's the thing. Like, they need a great story to tell. Exactly. But but what story are they going to tell? Like, that is the conjecture that we have to go through now. Like, until they actually have one to tell. Because right. I don't know if there is a great D&D story. I don't know if there's a great D&D story that's been told yet in those mediums. Yes. I mean, I, I mean even in novel form. Like, there are some great novel series out there. But, like, are they... I don't know how I would compare them to things like, you know, the Lord of the Rings or even like uh, like a Song of Fire and Ice or the Wheel of Time or, you know, even the Sword of Truth series. Like any of the, mm-hmm. you know, the, the big epic fantasy series that exist in the world. Uh, Brandon Sanderson's uh, what, uh, His Way of Kings or, you mm-hmm. know, things like that. Like, I don't know. Like, I love me some D&D books. Like, like I said, I like Ari Salvatore a lot. I like, I, But that's a personal preference. Those books are super pulpy, right? Like, they're... Right. I mean, Driss and Artemis and Terry are interesting and fun characters. To me, they might even work very well if they're doing an action-oriented D&D TV show. But, like, what, what great story does D&D have that they can tell that would be appealing to the masses of fantasy consumers? And I think that is a question that we could talk about for 40 minutes at some other point. Yeah, so let's move on. <laughs> All right, main topic, encounter design. Sean, lead us in. So for the last couple of years, uh, as Chris said, I've been putting out on Twitter a D&D tip of the day. And starting in January, I decided to do themed tips each month. So January was tips for new DMs. And then at the end of January, I took a poll to see what people wanted to hear about in February. And there were a lot of suggestions, but overwhelmingly the vote was for tips on encounter design. So I started to do it, and I realized that a single tweet cannot even begin to capture the complexity of that topic. So then I started doing sort of chains or threads, but threads are hard to do. People will retweet. You know, if you have a thread of six tweets, people will end up retweeting the fourth one, or, mm-hmm. and then people get lost. So, what I wanted to do was, over the maybe the next couple of weeks, talk about it on the show to go along with the tweets that I've been putting out. Let's do that, and I will I will color commentate because you know this is also a thing that is very near and dear and close to my heart. Well, yeah, you've created an adventure or two in your day for not just D and D, but for many many uh, games. Okay. So I think your uh, your 
input here is even more valuable um, from not just writing D&D, but from writing other rather games, but just, you know, uh, literature, fiction, poetry, or whatever in general. Let's do it. All right. So I'm going to start with the premise that encounters are the closest thing that D&D has to a building block for a story. Um, so we're going to treat encounters like building blocks for our discussion. Sounds good. I'm, I'm down. All right. So, cool. So as, as building blocks, your encounters are tools for larger purposes, right? So you're to um, you're going to use these to tell your longer story. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're going to use these to make a game that's fun and challenging for your players. Hopefully, if if they are into the the you know the mechanical game portion of the well, let's let's not even get to that. Like some sometimes a, a an encounter can be a choice that they make that will impact the story going forward. That is sure. that is also a kind of mechanic that I think that gets overlooked because it's so simple. Like right. here. Which of these, like, what are you going to do with this uh, moral dilemma, right? Like, because that, if it's done well, which we'll talk about later, it can impact yep. things going forward. Absolutely. So, and, and, you know, as building blocks, they are for those two. We just chose those two, right? Tell the story, play the game. But there's gradients in between there, as Chris just mentioned. Mm-hmm. So when I think of these building blocks, I think of Edgar Allan Poe's um, unity of effect. This was an essay that he wrote about short stories and I when I was teaching I would always refer to it and I haven't read it in a long time but I always come back to one of the main concepts that it has which is when you're writing a short story every word that you use should be pointing in the direction of a certain effect so when you're sitting down to write the story you decide what that effect is going to be and then everything that you do in the story should be working toward building that effect up. And I think adventure design can benefit from that concept. If you get something in mind for your adventure campaign, whatever unit you're talking about, that unity of effect, as long as if you keep that in mind, what am I trying to do here? Then those encounters that you create come together to uplift that effect that you are going for. Mm-hmm. I, uh, yeah, how does that sound, Chris? I think it sounds marvelous. I'll be interesting into figuring out how we apply that, what you just said, to to this this idea of RPG encounter design and how to make yep. make that function. Because um, when you are a, when you're an author and you're writing, you have all the control in the world. But when you're a, when you're a role playing game designer and you're designing an adventure. You still have all the control in the world for the words that you're putting down on the page, but when that game hits the table, you you don't have any control at all because it's all about how the the game master will present it. So mm-hmm. it'll be interesting this to talk true. about how those two things, how that how that changes our approach. Because I think the idea is still a hundred percent valid. Like this idea of like what is the effect that you were trying to show the GM or the dungeon master through your writing, and and how you can actually present that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think as we talk about some of these points, we'll come back to that uh, and either reinforce it or uh, refute it in some way. But it's a good, it's a good point to start. Yeah. From. Um, also, since we're using Pose Unity Effect, and for those people who know about Pose Unity Effect, um, th- his idea was that you start with the ending. Like, you know what your ending is, and then you build everything else out from that ending. Now, I don't know if that's necessarily the way that you want to do that with role-playing games, 
but that is that is where that that is a uh, that is the idea from Poe's point of view. Right. And if you switch that ending to just theme or atmosphere or um, overall uh, emotion that you're trying to evoke or idea that you're trying to show, yeah. then it, it it can work. I think but I think I, we can tie that all up into theme, like whatever your theme yeah, is. Yeah. And, exactly. and then that is where those are. The, that's the thing that you're trying to make the effect for everything. Like, sure. so like when you are when you're, if I was going to be writing encounters or a whole adventure, like whatever your theme is, put it on an index card or put it on the top of every page so that you're always looking at that and know that and keep it in, keeping it in mind. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so if we're going to talk about encounter design, we need to look at how, where those encounters fit within the overall scheme of what you're creating. Mm-hmm. So. If, if an encounter is the building block, then what are you building? And there have been different names for this. Some people might call it a scene. Some people might call it an act. Some people may call it an adventure. Some people just may call it a campaign. But if you start with that encounter, you're putting encounters together to build something larger. And then that larger thing you're probably putting together to build something even larger than that. So it's important to know what that larger thing is so you know what you want your encounters to build up to. Uh, we have this nifty episode on Misdirected Mark called Arc of the Misdirected that talks all about that concept that you just mentioned, John. Right. It's it's funny how that works. It's almost like, you know, we've gone through the same sorts of training to uh than each other in terms of literature. (laughs) So, yes. So so think about that. How do these encounters fit into an overall adventure? And then how would that adventure fit into your overall campaign? You don't have to think about this long and hard. You can just say, well, my overall campaign is going to be about undead hordes uh, in horror and heroes bringing light to darkness. Boom. If you know that's your overall campaign, then you can say, okay, so this first adventure is going to be introducing that theme. So everything is going to be about darkness overcoming the light, and that's what the characters are going to have to fight against. And if you have that in mind, then you can start working on your encounters. You meant light overcoming darkness, right? Or no, you are talking about... No, in... What, what, the, for that first adventure, the, you need to set the stakes, yeah, right? Yeah, so the bad guys want to use want the darkness to right. overcome the light. And so you have to show that this darkness has overcome the light or is in the process of overcoming the light. Yeah. And then and then you can decide, you know, it may start with the darkness already there or it may start with the darkness is coming and the characters see evidence of it in their own lives and so that's going to be the first adventure. Yes. Right? Because cool. we want to start in a place where everything is kind of normal. Right. So um, I just made that up off the top of my head. That's not in my notes. Yeah, so we're we're going to use this example on a wire forever here. now, though. Like that, that's exactly. our now, that's now our example: the idea of light yep. overcoming darkness, and then right. undead hordes. Yeah. So then, now you're going to break down your encounters. So you're going to say, "I, I want to have these many encounters in my adventure." And if if it's something like you're making an adventure for a four hour slot or to play, you know, in a four hour session, you can say, "All right, I can probably fit in," you know. Six encounters as long as one is only 10 minutes and then these others are an hour because they're combat, you know, complicated combats, whatever. Get that. Again, you don't have to spend days figuring that out. Mm-hmm. But just get a, get a kind of a concept because you're going to go back and refine it as you go anyway. Yeah, and- so 
we're gonna Go we're gonna talk about a variety of different encounters. In fact, uh, in the future, I don't know if we'll quite get to yeah. it this session. We might talk about some general stuff, but we'll get into some real nitty gritty stuff later. Sure. So, the first thing I like to do is I like to say, okay, here's my encounter. What's its goal? Yes. What do I want to get out of this encounter? Mm -hmm. Is it supposed to move the plot of a story forward in some way by having something specific happen? Is it just there to provide information to the characters so they know what's going on? Um, is it going to try to reinforce a theme or some sort of atmosphere or some sort of setting point? Um, is it supposed to provide a decision point where there could be a fork in the road and whatever the characters decide will uh, decide what path they take. Uh, I'm sure there are many more goals of, of, of encounters. Actually, I don't know if there are, Sean. <laughs> like, you hit the pretty super generalized ones. Anything that's more specific mm -hmm. kind of fits inside of, in, inside of those things. Okay, cool. But you can also handle more than one goal in an encounter. Yes. In fact, if you can achieve multiple goals with a single encounter, you are creating tighter and more interesting games to play. Yeah. And you can even set uh, these goals against each other. You can provide information, but you can provide a choice um, that will affect the theme in some way. If they go this way, it's things are going to get much darker, even though it's a path that might be easier for the characters. You know, you can do really interesting things by setting goals against each other or setting intertwined goals that that make decisions harder. You can also have more than one of the you can also have the same one of these goals uh, repeated in a, in a single encounter too. like. Absolutely. You can have more than one decision point and they mm -hmm. don't sure. and they don't have to be related either. They can be two separate decision points because we'll talk about stakes in a second but that, that's the kind of the idea yep. that we're getting there um yeah also like the theme like sean actually sort of mentioned two different themes when we when we set up our example it's it's light overcoming darkness mm -hmm. and also like this idea of the uh i mean the undead hordes are sort of related but not necessarily right like there's a lot more that kind of comes along with the undead rising right like because sure. then you can get to things like oh my god this is my family member who rose from the dead like that is not necessarily like light overcoming darkness. That's dealing with like family trauma and family death and things like that. That's a different sure. sort of a different a theme within the theme, but a different theme. Right. Absolutely. I mean, I just picked a very broad one and you can delve down into to different aspects of that that can work together or work at crossroads. It's, so for sure. It's also why it's sometimes good to have a fairly broad theme because I really like the idea of using instead of a. For the effect from this this idea of pose unity of effect using theme as the thing that we're looking at instead of the end of the story. Sure. Yep. So we, we've set our goal for the encounter. What is it supposed to do within our overall adventure? And once you know what that what the goal of that encounter is, then you can decide, okay, what are the consequences? What happens if the characters succeed? What happens if they fail? Um, can there be gradients of success where they might mostly succeed, but this one thing goes wrong? Or they might mostly fail, but this one good thing comes from it. Um, all of those things you should think about before you sit down and create your encounter. Yeah. Now, when we talk real quick, when we talk about goal of encounter, we're talking about the purpose of the encounter, right? Yes. Because I just don't want to confuse anybody. Like, like if I'm a player character, that's not the player character's goal. It's the writer's goal, the, the game master's goal. Like, yeah. what are they trying to achieve with this encounter? It, yeah, that's that's exactly it. Yeah, thank you for for clarifying that. And I think purpose is much stronger than goal. Yeah. So I appreciate that uh, that edit. If you yeah, know. no problem. Um, consequences and stakes, like they're the same mm -hmm. same deal, right? You you talked about that. Um, now, 
if the, the there can be more than one set of stakes or consequences going on in an encounter. And in fact, that is a really good way to to handle uh, things to make things more interesting, more dynamic, more more. I don't know. There there's something about when you when you have more than one one uh, set of stakes going on that starts making things way more complex for the characters to deal with. When you have two sets of stakes mm-hmm. going on, they're like, well, what do we do? Like, there's a choice within the thing. It's not just like kill all the monsters, which could be a problem. It's like, do we save the uh, do we save the family member who is being carried away by the undead, or do we stop the arcane ritual before it creates a a uh, plague of darkness over the city that will last a month? Mm-hmm. Like, absolutely. And, and can we do both? And if we do do both, like, is it going to cause us to possibly maybe fail more at both of them? Sure. And I mean, we can get way down in the weeds on really cool ways to do this. But just say you're a, a new writer, a new DM who's creating your own adventure. At least figure out what happens if you su- they succeed, what happens if they fail. Um, because there's nothing lamer than the characters you know, failing every skill check, every ability check during an encounter, but still succeeding. Because what you're saying then is it doesn't matter what you roll because this is how it's going to be. So think ahead of time about what those and you know those consequences don't have to be grave they don't have to be even super detrimental but there should be something that tells the players and the characters there is a risk here. Yes, like oh we didn't kill all the bad guys in time these bad guys will probably be back to harass us at some point. Like mm-hmm. that is a consequence. Like that those are the stakes right there like uh cuz Unless you're playing a fairly OSR-styled game, you're, where your stakes are often uh, everybody dies, right, or one mm-hmm. of us dies, then you need to come up with other stakes, other other mm-hmm. consequences for actions, and that could be right. like I lost a political ally, I lost a contact, I um, I don't have the resources that I had, uh, my magic got drained, uh, so mm-hmm. I have less spell slots for the future. Whatever they are, you, you can figure it out. Like, oh, I, I've suffered a couple levels of fatigue. And as as Chris is saying here, it can be those consequences can be story related. That NPC who's been helping you, he's dead now because you didn't kill all the zombies. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's story related. It can also be mechanical in nature. You know, if your players are more mechanical based uh, players and that's what they're interested in, then make the consequences mechanical. You have disadvantage now. On all the attacks against these zombies, yeah. for for whatever reason, um, you know, hit the players where they live. Mm-hmm. If they if they live in the story world, hit them in the story world. If they live in the mechanical world, hit them in the mechanical world, uh, because that is where uh, that's where they're going to pay the most attention. To really tie it back into the example of our theme, like, oh, look, we saved our family member, but we didn't stop the ritual. The mm-hmm. whole place is now dark. That means the vampires can now freely roam the streets, right? Yep. Also, it's dark, so our visibility is now limited. Right. Or if you try to turn undead, you uh, they have advantage on their saving. Oh, throw that's a good one too, undead. right? You know, all, all those things. Uh, you know, radiant damage doesn't do extra damage to to them. You know, whatever. Oh, that, see, that's a really good one because that's that's it ties back into the theme. Exactly. Right. Like, and that's that's what I'm getting at. Like, the idea is like, whatever you, if you can make your consequences tie back into your theme, then you are doing the thing that we're talking about early, which is you know the unity of effect. 
Yep. And it ties all that stuff together. Stand back, Chris. We are professionals. <laughs> we were trying to be professionals. Yeah, anyway, uh, I'm an icon. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> I am not. Oh. Yeah, you just... Th- that word has been thrown around here in a derogatory manner, uh, as my family and friends are wont to do. Uh, so it's awesome. You're such, anyway. such an icon, Sean. You're such an icon. Yes, I know. I know. So, uh, so back to this. So we've we've talked about the goals or the purposes of the encounter. We've talked about the consequences uh, based on what happens on the player side of things, uh, and then you have to think about where is the adv- where is this encounter placed within your adventure. Uh, and, and this is just, it's kind of common sense, but sometimes we need to talk about it uh, because, you know, is it is it early where you are trying to get across more information? The first encounter of any adventure is normally some sort of hook to bring the, the players and their characters in. So with those kind of encounters, you normally want to be heavy on the information side because you need to tell the players and the characters what they're doing. Yes. Um, if it's toward the end... That's normally the last encounter is normally a a climax of some kind, whether it's a big battle to see what happens or whether it's a big choice that will lead on to the next adventure in your campaign. Um, So where does its position within the adventure affect the kind of encounter it is? Um, It also goes with pacing, right? If you are trying to uh, create an adventure that's fast and furious where there's no rest and there's lots of combats, you're going to create encounters in a certain way. Um, if you are trying to show a more um, story-related, uh, deep immersion sort of adventure where you want the characters and the players to feel what's happening, you may want to slow the encounters down rather than many many short encounters. Create some longer encounters uh, where there's less action and more interaction. Yes. Uh, The thing that will really help people with this thing, this idea, is a framework. Mm -hmm. And now frameworks, I think we've talked about them before, but we'll probably talk about them again with this idea about designing encounters, is like, are we running a heist? Are we running a dungeon crawl? Are we running a uh, a political intrigue? Are we running uh, a linear adventure where we're like... It could be any kind of linear adventure. It could be a chase. It could be a, a, a mystery of some sort. Mysteries are essentially, especially trails of clues, are essentially linear encounters, like linear mm-hmm. linear adventure design. But like yep. those scenes um, end up being that stuff. If it's uh, if you were layering two different types of uh, frameworks together, like the the political intrigue slash dramatic interactions on top mm-hmm. of a investigation, which is a thing that we see a lot in TV. Uh, then then you have both of those things that you can work with. But when you do that stuff, then you have a better understanding of where you kind of want to stick your types of encounters. And yes, information ones are really good early so that the players have stuff that they can act on. And then the climaxes are really good too, but you have to remember that you can have little ones in the middle. Um, and the reason sure. I wanted to bring this up, because it's just a thing that I was thinking about, is uh, not everybody who's listening is an AL designer or writer and, mm-hmm. and like those folks, they have to write in a constrained period of time. Like you have three and a half hours, basically. And there's a lot, a lot more For constraints sure. on that. Uh, you don't necessarily have to write your stuff like that. Like you can write your True. stuff any way you want. So like um, if you're not pl- if you're not writing for that idiom, then mm-hmm. your adventures don't have to be that long. They don't have to be like six encounters or whatever. They can be whatever they want. But then you have to think about like where are your stopping points in case you want to have your adventure 
your story arc last multiple sessions because your session doesn't have to be your timeline. But that way, then you can design in like where a commercial break would be because then you could stop at your commercial breaks. Sure. If that for for the uh, for the example now, people are like, "What are commercials?" Because you know we have Netflix now. Uh, think of it as like scene cuts. Like there are moments that you see in TV shows, even on Netflix, where there's like a break in the action. I mean, Netflix TV shows are essentially long, like eight to twelve hour movies. I mean, that's mm -hmm. they they often feel like that to me these days. So like. At the end of those episodes, those 50 to 60 minute episodes, they have stopping points. So you can sure. use those as examples, too. And those stopping points are those moments where there's like a bit of rest or a question raised. They, they, we call them cliffhangers. We call them mm -hmm. we call them rest points, too. Like we're, oh, good. It's a chapter ending. Right. Like yep. stuff like that. Um, yeah. We can probably talk more about that in the future. But it's good to think yeah. about that stuff in your design because maybe you're not playing AL. Maybe you're writing for your home game. And I've done a ton of this stuff because I... Uh, I've run some really long D&D &D campaigns mm -hmm. for my home groups, right? Like, and that's how they end up playing, right? Like, and they're all written, they were written by me. Like, I haven't run any, I, I've very rarely run, like, out-of-the-book campaigns. So there mm -hmm. are ways to do that where you just find your stopping points. Sure. Yeah, I, I mean, I've had to write one hour, two hour, four hour, eight hour, 12 hour, and long adventures over the years. And each one has to be, approached differently yeah like campaigns are weird writing writing like mm -hmm. a whole campaign is not is like writing a series of adventures right but but those adventures are basically story arcs inside yeah. of this larger story like almost any one of those story arcs could be its own self-contained thing except really your second and your third and your fourth story arcs tend to build on the previous ones so not not yeah. really um so it, like it's a uh, it's interesting, like that's that's why that whole arcs thing is a, is a is an interesting thing to talk about. But then it breaks down to the one basic building block, which is the encounter. Sure. Cool. Well, let's let's just real quick do these last two. Hit it. Um, the next one. So we've got our goals or purpose. We've got our consequences. We've got where the encounter is placed in the adventure, and then we have a, a location. So most of the time, you're going to know pretty much the location of where this encounter is going to take place. Um, that is going to be integral to your encounter, especially if it's a combat, but even if it's, and, and especially if it's a, a exploration. Yes. Uh, but even, um, like interaction encounters, role-playing encounters, knowing where it takes place is important. So I haven't even talked about monsters yet, right? Nope. We've gone through all of these encounter thoughts, haven't even gotten to monsters yet. Next, normally as I create an encounter, I do these things. Then I get to the monsters. And if we're talking about combat, it's usually monsters. But we could be just as easily talking about uh, non-combatant opposition, um, foes in uh, challenges. Um, if you're trying to get some information out of someone who doesn't want to give it to you. Um, so that they're your opposition, but they're not necessarily a monster. Uh -huh. So you have to think about that. And then you can think about the other challenges. It could be traps if you're doing exploration. It could be terrain if you're doing kind of a longer survival sort of encounter. Um, or just a situation if you're doing a, a role-playing encounter. You know, That's what you then have to think of. So we've kind of n keep narrowing down the scope and the the focus of the encounter until we get to these smaller points that are super important, but that kind of rely on all of these other things in the hierarchy until we get to 
know what we need from monsters or from foes. The, the term that I tend to use for the things that you just mentioned are the elements of the encounter. There you go. I, I love that. That sounds, that sounds really good, Chris. Uh, I think this is probably a good place to stop, don't you? I think so. We've, we've stretched this one out pretty good. Yeah, I mean, we, we covered a broad range of things. Um, mm -hmm. I think a lot of this stuff and new things that we come across, we will talk about in way more detail in the coming weeks. Yep. So consider this part one of our encounter building. Uh, let's see. Count, encounter building series. I don't. Yes, that's a that's a good word. I should probably I, learn words. I can, I can go with our encounter building arc. They, oh, I like that. Uh, even there we go. All right. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, so much for listening. Let's do a few Patreon shout outs to those patrons that we love so much. Brandon Barnes, Blake Ryan, Batman, James Sweetland, Jem Pixelscapes, Gange, Kevin Minorzak, the old school DM Randy Farmer, the Mad Wizard Merwin himself, who patrons uh, all of Mr. Director Mark Productions, Troy Sandlin, Will Doyle, the icon, I should say, also, Sean Merwin, the icon. I'm just going to call him the icon from now on. You should all know who I'm talking about when I say the icon, not the That's superhero right. character, not the superhero either. That would be weird. Anyways, uh, Zach Goins, Andrew Dacey, uh, V, uh, V, uh, V, Waxberg, Chris Constantine, Cindy Moore, Eric Mengi, Eric Simon, Miko Froelich, Victor Wyatt, Andrew Dempsey, uh, Curtis Y. Takahashi, and Dennis Malloy. And speaking of patrons, if you'd like to be a patron of Down with D&D, you can click on the link to our Patreon page on the website and for $2 a month. That's, you know, around the same amount as a medium cup of coffee. You can get yourself a shout-out. Or for $4 a month, you not only get one of those shout-outs, but you also get access to the Misdirected Mark Slack Room where you can chat with us, and the chat has been fast and furious for the last it's few It's been days. crazy, right? And it's not just mm -hmm. the stuff that's been going on in, in the world. Like, there's been some of that, no. but, like, for some reason, people are talking about dungeons and not the kind of dungeons that we normally talk about, and that's all I'm going to say yeah, about that. That's kind of scary. Yeah. If you can't help us monetarily, but you want to give us a boost, you can do so with an Apple podcast review or any kind of podcast review or any kind of retweet or anything in the social media view of things. Yeah, because all of those reviews help make us more visible and we would really appreciate, um, you know, all the publicity. Yes, I, I, I totally agree. Sean, where can we find you on the Internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Sean Merwin, or you can find the Mad Wizard and his thoughts at Menagerie Wizard, or you can go with the Down With D&D &D Plus community, which is hanging in there. We're still there. I just deleted it off the, the, the thing because, you know, it's really not going to be there for very much longer. This is true. This is true. Uh, you can catch me at Misdirected Mark. That is at the show and the network Twitter these days. Uh, you can also just go to the website where you can catch other great shows such as this one, The Gnomecast. Several gnomes from Gnome Stew get together and talk about gaming topics and themselves in an effort to entertain you and avoid being thrown into the stew. By the way, the gnomes, including myself, will be playing some D&D on Twitch. You can catch it on our stream. Uh, next week I will tell you the exact date because I don't have it up right now, but it should be a thing that you should know about because it's going to be hilarious because we're playing a bunch of gnomes. In fact, I'm playing a, a, a mop-wielding gnome named Britmop Bandercreeks. Nice. Down with D&D is a misdirected Mark production, the media arm of encoded designs. What are we going to do now, Sean? The icon. Gonna, we are going to go kill some encounter elements. We're not killing icons? Definitely not. I hope not. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? This whole party. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D.
and out.